Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for taking the time to join us this morning as we begin a short series on the book of Ruth. We focus upon Ruth on this Mother's Day and through the month of May as we look at lessons that we can learn, not only in the area of romance, but also in the focus of generosity. So this morning, if you'll look with me in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we'll look at the title of this message, From Famine to Faith to Feast. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live in, for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimeliach. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Mermehilon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimeliach, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Oprah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Mahalon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to come and to be involved in the focus of generosity. And what we find in the pages of the book of Ruth gives us great understanding of what your heart is. And Father, how you care with compassion for those in need. How you watch over us as your children and how you use us to also invest with a generous heart in the lives of others. That is your encouragement, that's your desire, and Father, that's our challenge, and I pray that we'll be listening and open. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The book of Ruth is a beautiful book. It's a story of need and provision, of lack and plenty. In fact, probably the most widely known passage in Ruth is the most often quoted at wedding ceremonies. Perhaps you remember the passage from a wedding that you have been to in Ruth chapter 1, the latter part of verse 16 and 17, where Naomi says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. It is a beautiful statement made by a grieving widow to her lamenting mother-in-law. It's grounded in a faithful love and, and dedication to her brand new family. I think it illustrates a larger story in the book of Ruth that sometimes we do not see. Where there is lack, divine provision will be granted. Where there is lack, divine provision will be granted. I think this speaks boldly in the realm of stewardship and generosity on the part of believers in the world. Given the state of our economy over the past few years, the very word generosity sometimes does not bode well for many of us. And in fact, if we go across the... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. That was my alarm that says it's 2.55 and to turn off the uh, air conditioner at my house.
Okay, so what I'm going to tell Alex, let's start, let's start this section after I finish Ruth chapter 1, verses 16, latter part of verse 16 and verse 17. I'll go through the first paragraph of my introduction, that scripture passage, and then I will start again brand new. Correct. No, we're going to pick it up right after that scripture verse. Okay. It's a beautiful statement made by a grieving widow to her lamenting mother-in-law, grounded in a faithful love, a dedication to her new family. I think it paints for us and illustrates a larger story found in the book of Ruth. Where there is lack, divine provision can be granted. Again, where there is lack, divine provision can be granted. It speaks boldly on the subject of stewardship and generosity. Given the state of the economy today and what it has been the last few years, the very word generosity is hard for some to hear, much less embrace as a part of their life. So many of us are merely hoping to weather the economic and financial storms that we have had. As we look around at our own communities, we don't see the famine described here in the book of Ruth. But there's great evidence that people are lacking basic necessities. All around us, we see people that we know or people that we are in contact with who are struggling to make it month by month by month. And judging from the story of Ruth, nothing's really changed. People are still struggling. They were in Ruth's day. They're struggling today. God's people must stand ready to intercede wherever they possibly can. In fact, we should be ready to intercede beyond our abilities when God prompts us to act as an act of faith. I would like for us to look at this passage a little more closely and look at some principles from the book of Ruth that I think will help us to respond to God in faith in the realm of generosity. First, we find uh, the lesson that times of distress are normal. The last year, 14, 15 months, has been chaotic in our world. But let me tell you, every generation has found some kind of issue. Throughout the history of, of humankind, we find that disasters and distress are normal. In fact, if you look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 5, it tells us that trouble and grief and financial ruin have fallen upon this group of women, of Ruth of Orpah, of Naomi, they, they came across an unusual convergence of distress. A famine came upon the land. These women, they all lost their husbands to death. A mother saw both of her sons as well as her husband die. And these women from different cultures were left to try to figure out what they were going to do next. All widows. These circumstances could actually fit uh, fit probably any point in history. You see, times of distress are nothing new. They, the, the days that we live in are no different than the days that we find in any 
era before us, in any culture or any nation, difficulty is common to all, and in fact, it is to be expected. Just read all of civilizational history, and you'll find that distress is one thing every generation has in common. Jesus reminded us that without a doubt, there is distress. He said concerning the woman of little means and poor reputation who anointed his feet in Bethlehem, he pointed to her in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 11, and he said something that we all remember, but rarely do we ponder. He said, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus reminds his followers that they should value his presence among them as a unique moment in history and time in comparison to the poor who will always be around you. We also must learn a secondary lesson as well, that as people find themselves in financial trouble, we find that in every generation from every period of history. And you might be the very one who's in financial difficulty today, trying to be, figure out how you're going to pay that next mortgage or rent payment or the utilities, how you're going to make it this next month with the Social Security check that you have or what little funding that you might might have. Perhaps you're facing difficulty not too much different than we find these widows in the book of Ruth. It's devastating. The anxious feelings, trying to figure out how in the world we're going to make it. For most of us, however, when we face issues of poverty and need, we face them not from our own, but rather we face a choice. The choice that we make depends on the lessons that we have learned. One of the great biblical lessons is how believers in the church must respond to those who find themselves in financial distress. We must never be guilty of the sin of avoidance when it comes to the poor. It is likely that every single person that is watching or hearing this message is either dealing with financial problems themselves or they know someone who is in that situation. The Old Testament, much of the civil law that was given by God to Israel was intended to favor the poor. It provided for the year of Jubilee. That year of Jubilee was observed every 50 years. And in that 50th year, the land was to be restored to the original clan. Debts were to be forgiven. Indentured slaves were to be freed. It was a sign of both generosity and also the living portrait of God's grace. He wanted Israel to be the poster child of what grace is. Unfortunately, as you look in Scripture, as far as we can tell, Israel never observed it. The year of Jubilee was avoided and suffering was sustained. Poverty, pain, grief, they're normal parts of the human condition. And they're part of living in a fallen world, a sin-stricken world. And the church should be cognizant about the difficulties and the needs as God is as well. We need to look for ways to help others who are in distress. We ought to have the heart of God, the compassion of God, because he cares. And it's shown all the way through Scripture 
how that compassion should be lived out. So not only are times of distress normal, but we also learn from this passage that God is watchful over our needs. One amazing statement in the book of Ruth is found in the desperation of a woman who lost her husband and both of her sons. It comes from the heart of Naomi and is who is now responsible for two daughter-in-laws when she herself is in poverty. It comes out of Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6, where the scripture says, When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home there. Isn't that exactly what we hope for? That that God would provide, that there is hope out there for those of us who have anxious feelings about how we're going to feed ourselves or our family tomorrow or next week or next month. Daily, we pray that God is paying attention to our needs, and reality is we don't need to doubt that. We actually don't need to pray that. God says that he hears our needs. There is nothing more than scriptural precedent to teach us that he pays attention to us constantly. When the Hebrews were enslaved in Israel, God heard their cries for help. When Job was tested in his faithfulness, God provided and proved his character. When the disciples needed to pay their taxes, God was putting money in the mouths of fish. When Stephen was executed for his faith, God was opening heavens for a sneak peek before he died. When the early believers were in need, God was working through his church to provide. The Bible is full of examples of God's awareness of our needs. And here in Ruth, we find the generosity of God is in place. As the famine had come across the land, as we see in Ruth 1.1, God was paying attention. He knew the situation. He knew the landscape. He wasn't taken by surprise. He was paying attention. When these three widows were in need of help, God was already guiding them to Judah. That was the place where his provision would be. They needed to listen and watch. What about your needs? Do you believe that God is watching over you? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that God cares for the birds and the flowers, and that should be evidence of his own attention to each of us. So there's no need for us to worry regarding our own needs. Oh, we worry. We worry a lot about them. We think worrying and being anxious about them somehow is going to solve the problem. But the reality is we've got to trust that God will provide for us as he promises if we are faithful to him. God knows how many hairs are on your head. And for me, that is fewer and fewer. And if he knows the number of hairs on my head, then he also knows how much or how little money is in our bank account. My mom was an amazing example to me of how God provides. My father died when he was 66, still working. They only had $15,000 in the bank. They were going to retire the next year on that. 
Somehow, God took that $15,000 with no house. She had to rent for the next 30 years with only $1,000 of income every single month with $15,000 in the bank. And somehow, over 30 years, God provided and she paid all of her bills. She didn't get evicted. She didn't miss a meal. And she was able to tithe. God provides. He knows. He watches out. The reality is that we must choose to have faith in God's heart. You know, as I said, to put our faith in God's heart and not his ability to provide, because we know he has the ability to provide, we need to trust his heart and his compassion. We can't treat God as a, a cosmic Santa Claus. We don't want to treat him like a genie in the bottle or some d divine philanthropist who simply is present to fulfill the needs and our wishes that we have. That's not who he is. Our challenge is to trust him within this life that is sometimes overwhelmed by famine and sometimes blessed by abundance, but all the while we must trust this life which is consumed by faith in God. That should be our character. We don't need to be anxious. We just need to have true faith in God and use the provisions, the skills, and the abilities that he gives us to trust him every step along the way. Now, beyond believing in God's heart, we should then begin to imitate it. As you go through the book of Ruth, there's an amazing story that begins to unfold page after page. For those who have little to give, generosity of heart springs forth. We see that in this passage. Ruth chose to leave the land of her own people to remain with Naomi, a woman who was desperately in the midst of grief. And she said, I'll leave my people and know me. I will be with you by your side. Here's what we find in this passage. God was watching over a grieving widow. And Ruth was learning to trust his heart for those who suffer, those who are going through the most difficult times. Boaz was a successful businessman, and he took notice of a foreign woman who was caring for her ailing mother-in-law. <clears throat> Here God was watching over the Moabitess, and Boaz gave her more than what was expected. You see, God's watchful eye and his generous heart show throughout the story of Ruth. From Naomi to Ruth to Boaz, there's a beautiful story of how God brings about all of these events to meet the needs of many. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32 and, and uh, through Acts chapter 5 and verse 11, there, there is two stories that really draw our attention. One of generosity given, the other of greed observed. In chapter 4, the church moves to action to bring in, in a common way, 
people selling land and, and giving money so that everyone within the family of faith was taken care of to some degree or another. Their needs were met. They took an offering. They gave sacrificially. They did this because they loved one another. They cared for one another. They saw the needs. They observed them. They had the heart of God and the compassion and love. You move on to chapter 5, and you have two believers that exhibit self-serving attitudes when they lied about the offering that they were going to give, and they reap the judgment when God strikes them down for their lies. Though I've yet to see someone die when the offering plate was passed, <laughs> I will tell you that I know that God takes our heart of generosity seriously. He sees beyond our pocketbook, beyond our logic, and he sees in our heart. Are we a generous, joyful giver? You see, God's people must also trust in a watching God while moving to uh, emulate his heart. He sees our, our heart when we look and we see others that are in need. And then the question begins, what action would we take? What is our next step? When we see people in need, that is being cognizant of the need. But God is watching our heart and our motive to say, what are you going to do about it? Our charge is to assume the heart of generosity just like God brought his generosity to us. God acts because he's gracious. We live in that way which shows that our heart is the same as God's heart. And we're obedient to him. So we see that distress happens throughout history. But God is watching over us. And he will take care of us. And that leads us to the third thing that we find in this scripture. And that is provisions are coming. As we read this story of Ruth, we find that provisions can't come generously in various ways. There's no singular way that God chooses to do this. For Naomi's broken heart, Ruth remained close to her. And it's an amazing story and journey and feat that uh, Ruth embarked upon. Leaving her own people and land, Ruth chose to travel to Jude Judah with Naomi. Now listen to this. It was likely in Naomi's country that Ruth would be treated as an outsider. And it would happen not in the first few months, but for the rest of her life. It wasn't likely that she was going to be accepted by the Hebrew people. And yet, she went anyhow. Being the provision of God to Naomi... Naomi needed someone by her side. That was her need. And God used Ruth with her heart after God's heart to meet that need. And it brought great sacrifice on her part. But she did it because she trusted God. She said, your God will be my God. And he changed her life. When we are in a position of hopelessness, God makes a way to provide hope. Many times, the Holy Spirit's present, His presence in our lives when we're walking with Him delivers hope to us in supernatural ways. 
He supplies encouragement when our life is in chaos and in disarray. At other times, God chooses to work through people. So while we pray and ask God for, for some kind of miraculous event, some kind of supernatural event, it may be that God's going to use our next door neighbor or the person sitting next to us in a pew or, or maybe somebody that we don't even know. But he uses his people to provide what is needed. For Naomi and perhaps for you, God will activate other believers to provide encouragement in your time of distress and dis despair. Paul said that the church is called upon in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 to carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. To carry each other's burdens. It's not, it does not say to stand and watch and say here's how you need to carry your burdens. What it says is, the church is called to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That is the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In Ruth's condition, God provided Boaz. For Naomi, God provided Ruth. For, for Ruth, God provided Boaz. In modern times, you actually could say that Ruth was an immigrant, a poor immigrant. She was at the mercy of the community for her daily needs. There was no ability to generate income. They had to eat. Naomi was an outcast as well in this society because in the ancient world, a widow had few options. She either needed to find a new husband or she had to be adopted by the previous husband's family or she would fall into perpetual poverty. Neither, neither one of these widows, their situation was favorable. But in this case, we find that God provided a man who was willing to go beyond the norm of what the custom was and in liberality provide for the immigrant and her outcast mother-in-law. Well beyond the second mile even. It was common practice of that day for landowners to leave a small portion of, of the crop's yield for the poor in the community. They could come and they could glean from the property and at least have enough for that night or maybe the next day as well. But Boaz did not simply allow Ruth to come and pick up the extras from his, his field. In reality, he invited her to his table for refreshment. And then he ordered his servants not to bring in a big harvest, but to leave more and more so that Ruth would have plenty to take home for her family, that is, her mother-in-law. We find Boaz miraculously decides to take less profit from his fields so that Ruth can have more. It was a choice that he made. For many of us, we, we want the most out of everything we can get. But sometimes we need to loosen our grip and say, how much do I really need? And look for opportunities to help those who are in need. Boaz is a, a beautiful illustration of the desire to take less profit and give more to one who is needy. 
Boaz, I think here, is a portrait of God's work on our behalf. God, too, gave up what was rightfully his so that we might be cared for, not only in this life, but in eternity, because we didn't have the ability to get there. God gives because we are in need. He gives because of his intense care. He gives because he can, and not because we deserve it, because we deserve nothing. Ruth did not deserve anything. But Boaz saw that, and God moved his heart. God gives. Gives because we're in need, because he cares, and because he can. Not because he has to. I think another principle to remember is that generosity arrives at our doorstep often unannounced. Ruth went to the field in order to gather up what was left over. But God had a much larger gift in mind. Just consider this for a moment. Can you imagine the shock to Ruth, who is the immigrant, poor, who chose to leave her country, her people, to minister to Naomi in a foreign country and to be an outcast in that country? The shock on her face and in her life when she was invited to meet with the owner of the field when she was just out there gleaning what was left. Imagine the shock when he asked her to his own table for dinner. Imagine her shock when he ultimately redeemed all that had been lost with her husband's death. And imagine her shock when he offered to become her husband. When God works, God works in a big way. You see, God delivered provision in an uncommon manner to Ruth because he had a great purpose for her. She listened. She had a compassionate heart. In her life, generosity was the life that she sacrificed and gave to Naomi to do whatever it, it took. And God blessed her for that. And had that great purpose. And never forget that God still has great purposes for people today. And that includes you. Listen, the widow down the street or the couple down the street from your home who's struggling financially but doesn't want anybody to know. that God has a great destiny for them as well. They, they might be struggling but, but God still has things he wants them to do. Or a life he wants to transform. And perhaps it is God's intention that he will give generously to them through you. We must recognize that in some seasons we are Ruth. We are in great need of God's provision. But we also must prepare ourselves for the season that God makes us to be the Boaz. When we can help others with what we have in our possession and how God has blessed us. If we're willing, if we're willing to receive the Lord's generosity, then we must equally be excited to be his delivery system as well. Not a one of us wants to be takers, always taking, 
And God has given us generously not only salvation, but in so many other ways he's given to us. But if we're willing to take that, we must be willing to say, God, use me to touch the life of another who is in need. So God shows us through Ruth's life that he takes his people from famine to faith to feast. And whether you're in need spiritually or financially or relationally, I ask you today to look to God's heart and to trust him to meet you in a way that you would never expect. But you're going to have to trust his heart. First, for salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. As a believer in Christ, you, you need to let God speak to you about generosity and sac being a, uh, giving sacrificially to those around you who are in need, to, to ministries, to people that need our help. They need a helping hand. They need somebody to pull them up. And most of us have been there at some point or another. And that's what he's asking us in the realm of generosity. Live a life that is generous. There's some of you today that you have this sense of hopelessness. You don't know how God is going to provide, but I ask you to trust in his heart because he will provide. So today, whether you're Ruth or whether you're a Boaz, I ask you to please hear God. Respond to him with a heart of generosity and let him use you in amazing ways to change the lives of people because God has plans for those people as well as you. Father, I ask you if you would in this time of invitation where we make decisions right where we are that you would listen to our prayer you would respond to our heart. For Father, you know more than our mind. You know what our heart is, what our motive is. And I pray that this morning, you would help us to be generous. And Father, where we are just devastated by life, I pray you'll give us hope and the confidence and the trust to know that your provision is coming, that you are going to help because there are generous believers everywhere that when they get on fire for you they're going to come to the aid and God will use them powerfully God we thank you for that for those today that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior I pray God that right now they would choose to embrace Christ because he will transform their life for eternity and for this world each one of us you have a plan for before we were born father help us to achieve that by whatever means would honor you in the name of Jesus we pray amen